Good morning. Welcome to Renovation. And um, every time I've watched that video several times, and every time I see it, I just want to just kind of shout over it because I think it gives such a succinct, great message of exactly who we want to be, where God's taking us. And as Caroline uh, prayed through each song this morning, just so intentional about um, who we want to be as a community of Christ followers. So this morning, before we um, head to the Word, I'd like to also for us to pray. God, as we bow our heads and, you know, whether we close our eyes or not, or whether we're sitting or standing or whatever, God, what we're asking for is that your Holy Spirit come. That your Spirit is here. He is here. And just the words to say that just to know that your presence is here and all your power, all your majesty, all your love, all your compassion, all your grace, the very fullness of the Godhead here, living inside of us, your presence is here, all that we do, God, we just focus. We focus and we look at you. And God, we know that there are so many in our lives that we would desire that would would come to know you, those that we know that are just living far away from you. God, we just ask your spirit to empower us as we are your tool, as we are your instrument. That God, you're on this amazing rescue mission to bring those living far away from you home to you. God, this morning, as a church body, we, yes, we, we I'm sure that we all at home, we're praying for those individuals by name, by name, by name, the nation for the globe. God, as we come this morning as your people, we pray for the outpouring of your spirit here, that you just rain down on us as a body of believers, united with other churches in this community as we reach out. God, that we would be a church of your grace, that we'd be a church of your mercy, that we'd be a church of your love with a succinct, true, powerful message of the gospel. That Jesus, you do save. Your blood is just as fresh today as it was 2,000 years ago to create all things new. Just the impression on my mind, God, is that we just... We take this whole church as it sits on this little block and we just, we're lifting it up to you, handing it to you, literally giving this church to you so that we can impact your, what other higher calling could we ever ask for? God, strengthen us, empower us, give us a boldness of love, give us a boldness of love, a boldness of your grace this morning. We thank you for this word that we turn to your very last page this morning. As Caroline said, we want to know your heart on this. And from beginning to end of your word, we can clearly know your heart. We can clearly know how you love your creation. And God, how you desire that every single one hears the word, every single one believes the word, every single one is called home. God, we just want to join you in that mission. Whatever that looks like, we surrender to you this morning. Holy Spirit, come in power.
Come in grace. Come in your love. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning before, actually I do want to read the text. I'm going to read the text and then I um, want to draw attention to three very exciting events that are going to take place in this church body over the next year. But I want us to take a look at the last page of Scripture first. So I want you to turn in your, in your Bibles, if you have them with us or with you, turn to the very last page, the last chapter of Revelation. The text will also be up on the screen as well. In Revelation 22, this is um, a, a very, it's a two-part series because there's a beginning and an end of Scripture. So we started last week, we're ending this week. Last week was the first few words of Scripture, this morning the very last. But I'm going to begin with verse 17 of Revelation 22 because this is really the text, these first five, six words of verse 17 that I'm going to be focusing in on very specifically this morning. Revelation 22, God's last page, his last word to us before he returns. Verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. And we've got three pretty exciting events that will be coming up in the life of this body in the course of about a year. They happen to be three weddings. I see one bride. We've got one bride, two brides. We've got three engagements going on in renovation. I don't know if you're aware of that or not, but Sam and Andrew, Jackie and Jake, and Alex and Katie. And... Uh, pretty excited brides. I don't know about the grooms so much. I don't even know where Andrew is. Oh, there you are. Not even sitting next to your bride. This is not good. This is not good. This is not good. But the preparation is unbelievable, isn't it? We've got Katie and Alex. Theirs will be first in October. Sam and Andrew's coming up in March. And then actually this morning, Jackie, I didn't know a date until we were sitting there discussing it because I was going to sort of use that as an example that I didn't know. And y'all are still maybe trying to fill it out a little bit. Not for sure. It's not in stone. So I'm not going to say anything about that yet. But they're just so freshly engaged as of when, well, actually your birthday Thursday, midnight Thursday. So we're looking at fresh, fresh engagement, fresh excitement here. And not that Katie and Sam are not nearly, you know, not that it's waned a little bit. But isn't it kind of tough when you start really putting it to the pavement? You know, you start thinking about the preparations. Andrew, I can see his face. I can see Alex's face. Um, you know, what, it, what it's like to begin to prepare for a wedding. And unfortunately, and I, you know, I was there myself, that unfortunately when we begin to think about preparation, we begin to think a little stress. You know, the stress begins to hit a little bit when you try to put something together that you believe and hope will be, you know, you're going to do it this one time, and that's it. 
It's going to be done one time. The parents get involved, the grandparents get involved, and the preparation and the stress gets a little uh, anxiety. It begins to build, and it begins to build, and it begins to build. Well, I think sometimes in the ancient tradition of, of the Old Testament time and of the New Testament time, back in the time of Jesus, when a bride got engaged, she didn't know the date. And I'm thinking maybe that's not such a bad idea. That was their tradition. She had no idea when the, when the date would be. The groom would ask for her hand in marriage. She would accept, but she didn't know when that date was going to be. She had no idea. And this is literally how the Hebrew tradition was. This, was. this is not made up. This is how the Hebrew people lived out marriage. But the next step of that was that the groom had no idea either. The groom had no idea. Bride had no idea. Now, can you imagine that? And I don't know whether that reduces the stress level or whether that adds to the stress level. So the next question will be, well, who knows? Who knew the date? Who held the date in tow? Well, it would be the father of the groom set the date. The father of the groom set the date. And traditionally, what would happen is the groom would begin to prepare a place for them to live. The groom would set out, didn't know when the wedding would be, the groom would set the date, and the bride would be getting ready and prepared. Now, for me, I'd get up every morning, I'd have the dress, I'd put the makeup, I'd be sitting there waiting. Wouldn't you? Just watch. I mean, what if it was today? You know, what if that groom came that you had no idea? You had no idea. For us, it's, you know, the, the hair, the makeup, the dress, everything, all the flowers would have to be... You know, all of the preparation, because you didn't, you didn't have any idea. Well, what would happen is the father would know when the place was prepared and the bride was ready. And then he'd just go to the son and he'd say, go get your bride, it's time. Now, I don't, again, all kinds of emotions there, but I think that's a pretty incredible thing for us to think about because this is very much lines up with what we know is going to happen in Scripture. Who's the bride? The church. Do we know the date and the time? No, we do not. No, we do not. We know for sure we will be married. We know that there will be a wedding feast of the Lamb. Revelation talks about it. But we don't know the date and the time. Scripture even tells us something very interesting and I'm just going to say it, not going to spend a lot of time, but Scripture says even the groom, who is Jesus Christ himself, does not know the date or the hour. So who does that leave knowing the date and the hour? It is the Father. It is God himself. And as they are preparing this place for the church to go eternally, there will be a day and there will come a time when the Father is going to look to the groom, when he's going to look to Jesus Christ and he's going to say, you go get her, son. You go get your bride. You go get her. So this last page of Scripture is all about preparation. It's all about preparation. It's all about getting ready. It's all about what we are to be doing as the bride to be prepared for the coming wedding feast. And just as you could imagine, if we could just you know, take a, a look at how that would translate into one of these three current weddings, 
then we would be, Katie would be ready. Sam would be ready. She's not going to miss that Andrew coming to get her. Jackie's going to be ready. Can you imagine the anticipation day to day to day to day to day until your groom shows up, until Alex shows up, until Andrew shows up, until Jake shows up? And you're just ready, anticipating what's going to take place. It's an amazing thought with the same kind of thought process as we wait, as the bride of Christ waits for Jesus to come back for us. And the last page of scripture lays this out so clearly for us as to exactly what we are to do in preparation. On your handout, as we began to look last week at the first five words of scripture, the first um, words in Genesis chapter one, in the beginning God created, from the very first page of scripture, to the last page of God's story. It's a story about his grace. It's all about his grace. The beginning of creation, the beginning of creation, it is not an obscure or a vague account, nor is the ending of creation. It's not vague and it's not obscure. Now there's a lot of mystery about Revelation. There's a lot of things that, yes, may be difficult. Yes, we can't exactly put it to piece together, but there is very, very clear, definitive things that will happen. We believe that Revelation is not an allegory. It's not human imagination. Again, like creation, it's not human imagination. It's divine revelation. And the ending account of this universe as we know it, it's not obscure and vague. It's very clear in many parts of the scripture, but obviously, you know, it's jam-packed, uh, centralized in the book of Revelation. But what we see in Revelation is we literally see God uncreating the world. Remember from Genesis, he began to create it, and he just spoke it, and it came into being. He just spoke it, spoke it, and it came into being. He he formed the universe, and then he filled the universe. What we will see in Revelation, or as we read through Revelation, when you read through it, what you see is a very, it's not chaos. We tend to look at Revelation and think that's, it's just, it's mind-blowing, it's so chaotic. It just looks like everything is completely and totally out of control, and it's not. It's not at all. Are there events that are hard to, to comprehend? Are there, are there events that take place that just seem overwhelmingly disastrous? Yes, but it is under the control of a gracious God. And that gracious God, when evil has surmounted to that point, when God's grace is even greater, he will begin to dismantle the universe piece by piece by piece. But the grace of it is, the grace of it all, is that he will be there and he will present his bride with a new creation, a new heaven, and a new earth. He will create something again out of nothing. He will prepare a place for us out of nothing. He will speak it into being. This universe as we know it will cease to exist, and he will have a new place for his bride. Incredible thoughts. 
grace from the beginning, and it will be grace at the very end. The final revelation, this truth that we have in this last book and this last page, the final revelation was not given to satisfy our curiosity. It's not given just, you know, what's going to happen. You know, God's thinking, well, you know, I really got to tell him what's going on. Now, I really need to let him in on a little bit of something. I got to let him know something. You know, they're going to be curious. They're going to want. That's not it at all. That's not his motive. That's not the heart of God in giving us these final words, these final um, scripture, this final truth of the book. It's not given to satisfy our curiosity about end things, but it's to point to the grace of God. These final pages, these final words are still to point to the grace of God and to the Son of God. Still from the beginning, remember last week, if you were here with us, we were talking about the first page, there's Jesus. Go to the last page, there's Jesus. From beginning to end, it is his story, it's his mission, it's his rescue, it's his grace, it's his love. Now last week we also spent a lot of time looking at the creation story, Adam and Eve, and um, I've thought about, it, thought about this many times, not the, not the first time through, because there's Adam and Eve and the whole situation just gives us a lot of questions. There's just a lot of questions, and it's okay to ask those questions. But one of the things that seems logical to me, one of the things that seems it's, it, it had to have happened was this. Remember Adam and Eve, when Eve took the bite of the apple, and we've got all the consequences that come from that. And if you remember, I pointed out last week that in chapter 3 of Genesis, do you remember what happened when God spoke to Adam and Eve after they had sinned? Remember, they had covered, tried to cover themselves with the fig leaves. But you remember what God did in his grace. Do you remember what he did? He took an animal, he slew it, he took the blood, took the lifeblood out of it, and what did he do? He fashioned clothing for them as he sent them out of the Garden of Eden because to stay there eternally, they would have been trapped in their sin. So he sends them out clothed, something that he did for them out of his grace. From that point on, there's a story to tell. Is there not? What do you think as they began to have children that Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve began to talk about? Well, they began to talk about this story of grace. It had to be handed down. It had to be given. They had to tell Cain and Abel the story of grace. They had to be a true witness to what had happened. They had to, to speak the word of truth. We sinned. God's grace covered us. We are rescued, and we will be with him forever. That believing is before Christ. We worry about the Old Testament. You know, what do they do? Well, there's many verses that say their faith was credited to them as righteousness. Their faith was credited. It wasn't anything Adam and Eve did. They did not earn anything. God's grace. So they began to, to tell the story of grace as best they could. Not everything fully revealed, we don't know. But from Scripture, that had what happened. We know Cain and Abel. We know the story of Cain and Abel. Cain killed his brother, Abel, what was it over? It was over, um, Cain was jealous, he had a downcast soul because Abel had offered a sacrifice to God. The story of grace had to have been passed down to Cain and Abel. Abel offers a blood sacrifice. 
What did Cain offer as a sacrifice to God? It was something out of the field, something that he had worked for, something that he had harvested, something that he had taken care of. There's a, um, and as we see, there's a jealousy because what does God do? God accepts the life blood of that animal as a sacrifice that Abel gave to God. And he rejected Cain's. It's the story of grace. We can't just come to God and offer what we want to for his acceptance when we think about the forgiveness of sin. I'm not talking about acceptance and who you are and where, who, where we came from. I'm talking about what is acceptable in God's sight in the restoration of relationship. God rejects whatever we come with with whatever, you know, God, look what I've done. Remember last week, it was all about look at me. Look at, God, look what I've done for you. Look what I've done. I've tried to get my act cleaned up. I've tried to do that. I've tried. Look at me. Look what I've done. And God's saying, oh, no, look at me. Look what I have done by my grace and my love for you. And so this foreshadowing throughout the entire Old Testament, from that point on, when Adam and Eve told the first story of grace, I just find that it had to be passed down. It had to be given and then spoken of and spoken of. And then we get to Moses and we see this um, entire structure of worship, this gracious worship that God gave the Hebrew nation, that you slaughter an animal for your sins. And I will accept that. And then through the prophets, we see more of that. And as we get to the Old Testament and turn into the New Testament, there's this man called John the Baptist. And John the Baptist begins to tell the same kind of story, but this time, because Jesus is on the earth at this point, there's a place in, um, in the Gospels where John is saying, look, look at Jesus, look at him, because he's the lamb, he's the perfect sacrificial lamb, he will lay down his life and he will cover your sins. So all through the book, through the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, all the way till we get to the end of Revelation, it's God's story of grace over and over and over again. And as God began to reveal it clearer and clearer, even though we see, even back in, obviously, uh, there are places in Isaiah, very specific references in all Old Testament books, just pointing to Christ, pointing to Jesus, pointing to Him, pointing to Him, that He will come and He will rescue. It's the story of grace. It's a story of grace. It's a story of rescue, of bringing us back into full relationship with God. It's provision from first to last. Okay, what I want to do this morning is I want to slow you down just a little bit. I want to slow you down. How many of you need to just be slowed down a little bit? I know a lot of you pretty, pretty well in here already. And I know a little bit about what your lives look like. And you need to slow it down. And so this morning on this Sabbath day of rest, when we come to worship, I just want your heart to slow down a minute. I just want your minds to slow down just a minute. Slow down. And I almost wanted to name, just call this whole message, whoa. Just whoa in the grace of God. Not like whoa, like just whoa, like horse, whoa, slow down. How many of us are moving so fast right now? 
and I know these three brides are. I know they are. I know they are. I know the stresses. I live with one. I know they are. I know they are. And sometimes, I, you know, I remember a little Facebook post one time, and Sam, I get to tell on you, and you just get used to this because it's just going to happen. I get to pick on you. But she was, there was something stressful coming across Facebook, and I don't know if I posted I think I sent it to you as a message. And I just said, you know, slow down. Just enjoy today. I mean, we're looking at school and graduate school and wedding and how am I going to do this and Andrew's job. And, you know, it's just like, whoa, slow down. Slow down and enjoy today. Enjoy it. I mean, what kind of bride is beautiful, stressed out, chaotic, cannot, you know, decide one thing from another, just moving from life, one thing to the next to the... What kind of bride does that look like? What kind of bride? What kind of that bride translated now to us as we see in the scriptures that we're, de we're described as the bride, what kind of impression, what kind of accurate description do we give to the world if we're a bride just completely running so hectic, so crazy, so chaotic, so busy that we never slow down and just soak in the grace of God? Who needs you in your life right now to slow down? Who needs you to slow down? A friend? A spouse? A coworker? A child? A parent? Somebody who's living so far away from God right now and you know who they... Who needs you to slow down a minute? Who needs you? Who needs you just to sit this morning and think about the grace of God and soak it in a little bit so that you can possibly, so that I can possibly pour it out onto somebody else? Who needs that? Who needs you just to slow down today? Just take a breath today. Because what I, the more and more I thought about it, the more and more I really prayed about it, my own life, my own, you know, just craziness and hecticness of life and what it looks like in June. And, you know, it's funny because Stephen last night, he's posting, it's 10 p.m. It's on Facebook. It's 10 p.m. Where did the day go? And I'm going, oh, you're right. It's 1045. Jackie's, it's 1040. It's 1040. Where's my life going? In my own craziness, busyness of life. And what I realized is that the busier I am, now it may not be for you, may not be for you. For me, the busier I am, the more focused I am on myself. The busier I am, the more chaotic my life looks like, the more focused I am on me and the less compassionate I am. Now, maybe it's just, you know, I've got to, uh, you know, things get hectic, things get pressure, we get a little snappy. I know none of our brides get a little snappy when the pressure begins to, you know, push. Oh, Andrew, don't look like that at her right now. That's not good. That's not good. Not good. But when the pressure is put, then we tend to lose compassion. We tend to lose grace. We tend to lose the capacity to love. So, you know, not to make a big sweeping spiritual statement, but maybe it's just kind of a reality in my life. I think the enemy is going, I win 
when you're so darn busy. I win because you're never going to take a step back and look at the people around you. You're never going to step back and go, who needs compassion? Who needs grace today? How can I exhibit the love of Christ as the bride of Christ? How can I be a gracious bride? I don't know if any of you have ever seen uh, Bridezilla. You know, it's a, it's a reality show on television. And I don't know if it's real or make-believe, but it's, you, know, you can kind of get caught up in that stuff and just kind of laugh, and you're going, oh, my gosh. But what they do, they, they pick these brides who are literally monsters if it's not done their way, if they don't get their way, if things aren't just you know, this and this, and just, they don't care who they run over, they don't care who they trample. There's no grace, no love. It is a great example of it's all about me show. It's all about me. Just brought, body of Christ is not meant to be Bridezilla. She's not meant to be Bridezilla just you know, stomping over everything. We're to extend grace and mercy. Well, how do we do that? Well, we do that when we soak in grace ourselves. And that's why I just wanted to say, whoa, this morning. Just slow down this morning. Because through song and through prayer and through the message, may the Holy Spirit just work in you this morning to slow you down and to consider and to meditate and think on these things. Because from the first breath of your life, to the last breath of your life, it's a story about God's grace. Your life, my life, is a story about God's grace. You're a product, as a Christ follower, of His grace. You didn't earn it. You didn't do it. You're not all that in a bag of chips. You didn't, you didn't do it. God's grace. It's God's grace over your life. And as we serve and as we come together as just... As a, as a local body of Christ, soak in His grace and then to, to pour it out. So I chose a couple of verses. I mean, there, you know, every verse to me in Scripture talks about God's grace. I mean, you can go to the wrath of God and I think of God's grace. But every Scripture. So just for the moment as we're just woeing and we're just settling down and thinking about grace, two Scriptures came to mind almost immediately. And the first one is Romans chapter 5. Verses 1 and 2, and it's on your printout. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through whom we have gained access by faith. Now look what this faith has brought us. As you look in this scripture, we've gained access to God through this faith because we believe, we believe what Jesus came to do. We have this access by faith into what? Into the grace of in which we now stand. And I almost didn't, you know, I, I, I get to that because I love that. And I can just, I, I love to picture me standing in the grace of God. That's my position. That's my security. As a believer in Christ, that's who we are. I stand in that position. But then the verse that follows or the sentence that follows immediately says, and we rejoice and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So the picture is you, as a Christ follower, that you're standing in position in grace. God, you, you, you've been justified. You've been brought back to right standing. You've been given right standing because you believe, not because you've, you've done anything, not because you've got a chaotic, busy life and you've just achieved so much. That's not it. 
You've been placed into a position justified before God and you're placed into this right relationship with him and the word says it's a position of grace and it's grace that placed you there and it's grace that's going to keep you there until the, the groom comes back and we're ready and I want to be standing in a place of grace. I don't want to be the bridezilla when Christ returns. I want to be in that place of grace in that place of thought process, knowing that my life started with grace and it's going to end with grace. And my life started with grace the moment I received Christ because I was dead before then. When I received Christ, He created a new creation. And life began and I stand in grace. And every now and then, the church just needs to pull back and go, whoa, whoa, remember my grace. Think of my grace. It has saved you. It has placed you in a secure position. And I'm coming back for you one day. It changes, it renovates our thinking, does it not? It just, it's like that compass point coming back because before we're condemned, we're separated, we're dead, and then grace, we believe, we have full access to God through Jesus Christ. The bride is in position. She's in position. She's in a position of grace to be prepared when the groom returns. Second verse in Galatians. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, look at this, Christ died for nothing. So in this verse of Galatians, in, these, in Galatians, in these few words, what we have is some magnificent truth to just say, whoa, and sit in and think about this morning. Because as Christ was crucified, what this verse is saying is that when you became a Christ follower, that you died with him. Your old self is crucified. And then just as he was raised to life, so we are too raised to life. That means the old self is gone and there's a new creation. If the old self comes back and you see that part, what we've done is we've just surrendered again to sin because you're a new creation. The truth is we are a new creation in Christ by his grace crucified with him. I don't live any longer, but what happens? I'm not living for myself. Remember last week, if you were here last week, I had little tiny red stones. Everybody had got a red stone, and that red stone represented your life. And my challenge last Sunday was to think about that stone and make the decision whether you wanted to live that live um, representative of that stone that you're just going to live for yourself. You're just going to live it out there all by yourself, and what we think is living by ourselves, you know, we're just, we're, we're going to make such a huge impact on this earth. Well, I'm here to tell you that one single individual can't make that kind of impact on this earth. It, it just can't. There have, been, there have been leaders, there have been, you name it, through, through time. No impact. No impact. The impact that we make is when we immerse ourselves in the person of Jesus Christ, and then as Christ lives through us, then we make the impact. That's grace. That's grace. 
That's grace. We're not, not living a life, look at me, look at me. We're looking at a life going, I, I want to live for something greater than myself. And by dying to myself and immersing myself in the person of Christ, then Jesus lives through me and then as God uses the instrument of who I am, I can make an impact for the kingdom. But that's not where the story ends, is it? That's not it because God didn't leave us to go, okay, Karen, that's true. Christ is living through you. Um, you know, you can make an impact. But his plan was this. The plan was bigger than that. The plan was that the, the church would be born. And the church globally would be birthed. And the church universal would be birthed. And through the church, remember Adam and Eve's message? Remember Adam and Eve's message, Grace? That God would make a provision for your sin? God would make a provision for your sin. What God has done now, in what we often call the age of grace, is that he's, this message has now been entrusted to the bride. What Adam and Eve, however they explained it to Cain and Abel, this message of grace, all through the Old Testament, this message of grace, that Jesus would come, the New Testament message that Jesus came, he died for our sins, his blood covers us, in receiving him as Savior, we have eternal, it's a message of grace. Who is going to speak that message of grace? It's entrusted to the bride. It's given to the church. So what we do, we take those red stones, those individual red stones, and last week we had a bowl right here behind the communion table. And as you came forward and you felt, you know, you, just the impression of the Holy Spirit upon you, you made that decision, I'm going to immerse my life into the bigger purpose of who Jesus Christ is. And it was so wonderful to watch as I looked in that bowl, particularly the second service, because there were red stones all in that multicolor um, stone mix that was in that bowl. And some of them were punched down deep into that mix of stones, as if to say, you know, I want my life immersed. I don't want anybody to see me. I want people to see Christ. And so at the end of the two services last week, we had this beautiful bowl, and it was this mixture of all these red stones, and they were just enveloped with this visual symbol picture of what we were talking about is Christ. And so we've taken our life, and we've mixed it in, and then what we took, did this week, and I, I hope you've noticed over here, is that we, just, we decided that we would put it all together in a mosaic and take each one of the red stones that you brought and put into the bowl, we would write a message with your life. And combined in the body of Christ, what is the message of the body of Christ? Grace, God's grace, the grace of Jesus Christ as a sacrificial lamb, giving up his life. It's the gospel message of grace. And one stone, one stone, can't write that. It takes the body of believers to write out the word and the message of the grace of Jesus Christ 
to the world. And as we were, John and Stephen and Caroline and I, we were a couple of weeks ago praying over this series and thinking about that. At, at one point, it was, as we were just kind of brainstorming and throwing out thoughts, we thought, well, we'll give out the stones and then we'll have each person write their name on it or something. And we thought, no, you know, kind of passed on that. And the more I thought about it, I'm so, didn't dawn on me then. But it came to my mind, so I'm so glad we didn't do that. Because we would be up there going, where's my stone? Would you not? You know you would. You would be over there going, well, am I the A? Am I at the beginning? Or am I, you know we would do it. We would do it. We would want to know our stone location. We would want to know, all right, where did they put me? Where did they put me? Pride just, so I'm so glad we didn't do that. Because in the whole picture of God's grace, from the beginning of your life to the end of your life, as you surrender to Christ, you're part of this big global picture of God's grace. And sometimes we really don't know where we are when we fit in that. It's by faith that we walk that we're in this big global picture of His grace, this bride prepared and ready. It's an amazing picture. On your handout, from the birth of the church until Jesus' return, the church's one and only message to the world is the message of God's grace through the sacrifice of God's one and only Son, Jesus. That's the message of renovation. You know, you may think, why did they, why did they do this? Because we just felt compelled by the love of Christ to plant a church, not to look at us, look at us, look at us. It's because we wanted to be in the whole picture, the global picture of extending God's grace. And yes, it may be a little different, out of the box, but we feel like there's just people that, that need a place to come that maybe is out of the box, a little different, a little different. And as we begin, as George and Walt come back from this international conference, and our focus, I'm going to tell you, our focus is extension of grace, extension of who Jesus Christ is, the mission of this. But I want you to hear me clearly because I'm in the same boat with you guys. If I don't soak up the grace of God, if I don't soak up His love, if I don't sit and think about that, if I don't woe my life down, then I'm ineffective, very ineffective. It's to think about the grace of God. So how do we respond? In Revelation 22, back to these verses, and back to the verse that I want to just finish up with this morning is verse 17. Because I love this thought. I love this. Because verse 17 says this, and this begins to give us the response. How do we take what we've been thinking about? Whoa, you know, slowing down my life, soaking up the grace of God. How do we give an accurate picture of the world of who Jesus Christ is and who God is as this God of grace and mercy and of love and, and this rescue mission that he's on. Verse 17 says this so beautifully, so beautifully. The church, the, the spirit, the spirit and the bride. Spirit and the bride. It's not just the spirit, is it? And it's not just the bride, is it? It's the spirit and the bride together, which tells me it's a warning and a promise all at the same time. It's a warning and a promise all at the same time. 
because the promise is that the Holy Spirit will come alongside of us as a body of believers and engage and empower us in this message. It's a promise. It's also a warning that says, if you don't call on me, if you don't depend on me, if you're not seeking me out as an individual to be filled with the Spirit, if your church, if this church is not calling on me, being empowered by me, you're doing it out of your own strength. But this verse 17 says, Spirit and the Bride. Spirit and the Bride. The Spirit and the Bride. It means that in our preparation for the groom to come back, and we don't know the day or the hour, the Spirit's there. He's there. He's alongside of us, preparing us, in us, preparing us. So what's our now response to the soon event? Point number one, I've just got the Holy Spirit. Grace given by the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. Grace to depend upon. The Holy Spirit to depend upon. In verse 17, we have the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come. I realize that is an act of worship. Point number two, how do, we, how do we do this? How do we respond? It's worship. We're drawing on the Holy Spirit, and our entire lives are given over as an act of worship. And what that means is I'm not an accurate picture of our God if I'm spending the next six days of my life until we meet again, if I'm grumbling and complaining and I'm horrible to people, I'm unkind, I'm sharp, and I don't extend the grace of God. How does that give the world an accurate picture? What gives an accurate picture of God? Forgiveness. I've never known anybody who could forgive like she does. Kindness. I can't believe she slowed down her life to do that for me. And see, here's where we'll get overwhelmed. We'll think there are there's so many people in my life right now that I know if I slowed down, I would be overwhelmed. Let me challenge you with this. You do for one this week what you'd like to do for everyone. Okay? Let me say that again. Because we can be overwhelmed with the thought of slow down my life, show grace. Show love to somebody that doesn't deserve it, because that's grace. It's giving something that they don't deserve. So we get overwhelmed. We think there's so many people. Do I write notes? Do I, do I call them for lunch? Do I do this? Do I take this? Do, and we get all caught up in that again. Let me challenge you with this, because I think this is a principle that is amazing. You show for one, just one this week, what you'd love to do for everyone. Just show for one. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a family. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's somebody you don't even know. And you pray about this, that this week, and the Holy Spirit just he shows you. He will show you the one and what you need to do. How do you extend grace? How do you extend mercy? How do you extend love? How do you be a, 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 an accurate picture of Christ? Because I'm not an accurate picture many days when my temper is short or I'm unkind. There's no joy. There's no peace. There's no patience. I'm bridezilla. But slow down. Show for one. Do for one. Extend grace for one. What you would love to do for everyone. Holy Spirit will show you. What's our now response? Love. Third one is just love. Jesus said, you're going to show the world that you belong to me by your love. He said, you're going to show the world. An accurate picture to people living far away is love for one another. If you're my disciples, it's easy to mark 
You're, easy to mark. You're an easy mark that you belong to me just simply because of how you love. And I love the fact that in the position of grace in which I stand, you do not have to be afraid to love deeply. And that's a whole nother story. It's a whole nother place. But I would just almost challenge you to love extravagantly. What does that look like? Because Christ did. That's an accurate picture. All right, and then four and five, I'm just going to group them together. Four is the proclamation, and five is the demonstration of grace. Because at renovation, whatever we do, whether it's in the children's area, whether it's Alpha, whether it's this upcoming Bible study that Sam's going to be doing with the high school students, whether it's the women's study that we'll be starting out, whether it's every message, every word on the screen that we sing, every single one of them is because this scripture says in Revelation 22, we've got a message and it says, come and let him who hears say come. And the message is this, whoever is thirsty, let him come and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. We're talking about people who are tired, people who are burdened, people who need to know the grace of God. And we offer, our message is, it's the same message. It's a clearer picture of the same grace that Adam and Eve, same message. We have an entrustment to the body of Christ, to the truth of the gospel message. We are sold out to that at this church. We are sold out to the message of the gospel. Sold out. There'll be no compromise on that at all. No compromise. But it's one thing to describe it and to say it, and it's another to display it, isn't it? So really, proclamation and demonstration is description and display. It's description and, dis and display. Because we come together to hear the word, we hear the truth, we present the message, and then it's for us to, whoa, slow down life and then display the grace of Jesus Christ. Slow down. And this morning, if you're thirsty, maybe you're a Christ follower and you're, you're just thirsty, you're panting because you've run life so tough this week, so hard. You know, maybe circumstances so hard, so tough. Just want to give you the opportunity to slow down and soak up God's grace, soak up His love, and then to come to the table. Every week we tell you this is not a renovation table. It's, it's the Lord's table. It's a set-apart table. It is a table of grace that week to week to week as we come and participate in communion, we're coming with the knowledge that Christ has died for our sins. He's offered grace. But yet as we participate in communion, we're also participating in Revelation 22, verse 17. And that's that we are saying, come Lord Jesus, come again. That we believe that you are coming and we want to be a prepared, gracious, loving people, not chaotic, not unkind, not bitter, not angry people. We want to come completely sold out. 
and our worship band, Caroline, is going to lead us in this song. I don't know if it's going to be new to you, but it is an amazing words that fit beautifully with Revelation, God's last words. And it's all about waiting for Him, waiting for Him. And at this table, what we're thinking about, yes, we're waiting for you to come. And there's this thing that we hold in our hand because there's, we feel this great paradox of resting in His grace and yet extension to the world. We're waiting here for you. By your grace, by your grace, we surrender to you. That's what this table is all about. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread on the table and his disciples were with him. And he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that's broken for you. It's my grace. It's sufficient for you. I'm lay down my life so that you can have access to me. And then he took the cup and he poured out the wine and he said, this represents the new covenant in my blood given for you. A new covenant written on our hearts. The table represented covenant. It represents the covenant of marriage. What Jesus was saying is, will you marry me, church? Will you be my bride? Will you be prepared? So as you come this morning to, to take communion, there'll be servers to my left and to my right. We serve wine. We also have, if you choose not to use wine, we have grape juice on either side. But what I want you to think about this morning as you come for communion, I want you to think about Christ and the covenant that he made in his blood asking you, will you marry me? Will you marry me? And as you take communion, I pray the Holy Spirit quickens in your heart. I do.